We've got Tom Shane here. So, how are you, Tom? Doing great. You've been in the jewelry business for a while. What's a Valentine's Day gift that will really take her breath away? We have so many options at Shane Company. What if you're serious, but not ready to get engaged? Our designers created an infinity diamond necklace made with our signature shade of rose gold for $565. Any other favorites? An east-west heart necklace. What's an east-west heart? A sideways heart. A new take on a heart necklace. That's cool. It is. It's accented with either a red garnet, an amethyst, or a cultured freshwater pearl for $150. Wow. And you can get her earrings to match the gemstone. That sounds awesome. Visit us in San Mateo, Walnut Creek, or in Cupertino, where we've moved to a new location just two miles down Stevens Creek Boulevard. Now you have a friend in the jewelry business, Shane Company and Shaneco.com. Welcome in to the Browns Wire podcast with me, Travis Rogers, and Josh Keatley. Josh, how you doing, bud? I'm doing great, man. The Browns came off with a very convincing victory, so I think anytime that happens, everybody's excited. Yeah, we got to do our little whole uh, Victory Monday stuff. Uh, lots of people on the Twitter uh, doing all kinds of things. Uh, also, uh, just looking back at the game. Um, there's this situation that occurred. We'll talk about it probably uh, a bit today. I don't know. OBJ getting choked out. Uh, that may or may not have happened. But the Browns won. That's the main thing. Let's go. <laughs> they didn't just win. They won convincingly. As we talked about last week, the spread was the Ravens were favored by a touchdown or maybe a touchdown on a hook. Uh, and the Browns won 40-25. to That offense showed out. Nick Chubb was just insane. Jarvis Landry was insane. Ricky Seals-Jones came out of nowhere. Baker Mayfield looked like himself. It was exciting. It, it was exciting on all, on all levels. And the defense has always played really well. Um, we'll, we'll get we'll get into that a little bit later, but what, what did you think? Okay, so like you said, it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty much domination. I mean, it was close for a lot of the game. Then the Browns just kind of pulled away at the end. You know, looking back, um, you know, there, there's both negative and positive to take away from it, and really, the, it wasn't as close as the score indicates. You know, the Ravens got a really, really, um, a really bad touchdown in, in garbage time that the Browns just kind of—I I don't know what happened. The coverage just got blown up, and really, you know, the final score should have been more like forty to eighteen. It was, it was everything we needed and wanted and more. Um, just uh, you know, looking at the history between the two franchises, I mean, the Brown that there there is so much shade and Freud to take away from what the Browns did to Baltimore. Um, their fans were—I mean, they weren't even down. I mean, I think they were only down two scores, and there's stuff of their fans leaving with eight minutes to go in the fourth so that kind of drubbing it just feels so good as a Browns fan it was definitely game over I think that you're right the score is even though the score does indicate it's a blowout it was a blowout uh the Browns probably did play better than their score indicates it was I mean it was game over I mean they started out strong they finished strong everything was kind of clicking yeah it's it's everything that that I mean you know Baker Mayfield said it in the press conference afterwards, you know, the media threw us in the trash and we aren't going to forget. And that's the kind of attitude we want to have. So, um, again, positives and negatives to take away. We'll start with the positives. Uh, if you just want to start offense, defense, and then I guess special teams, if we want to roll that way, let's, uh, let's start reviewing. So what do you got? Yeah, there were, there really were no negatives when it comes to the offense. Uh, uh, Baker Mayfield looked crisp. He got the ball out quickly. Um, Ricky Seals Jones really, I, I'm, I, when we picked him up, I said that he was a very solid player. Uh, he's a perfect 
he's a perfect example of how scheme can affect a player's progression. And Arizona, he was using properly. He's not a tight end. He's not he's not your typical inline tight end. He's more of a receiving threat, right? He's got a very tall, thin build, but he catches the ball really well. And that's how Cleveland and, and Freddie Kitchens incorporate him, and it worked out really well. Jarvis Landry came up on another level. Uh, you know, Odo, Odo Beckham Jr., I know that his stats weren't there. I mean, shoot, I think it was, probably was a career low in receptions, I believe. Um, it, but, you know, they were... They were watching him. He still played, even though he didn't have, he didn't show up in the stat sheet. He still played a vital role. I believe Freddie Kitchens even said that. Uh, you know, there's not. What can I say about Nick Chubb? Nick Chubb looked explosive. Um, first running back to score three touchdowns since Peyton Hillis. I mean, he was just insane. The entire offense really clicked. Even the offensive line. I know they were they were given a tough task this weekend. They played really well. I really don't have a lot of complaints when it comes to the offense. Yeah. So in terms of me for offense. Um, I do have a few negatives, but I, I'll, I'll save those for the, the second half. But the, in terms of the positives for the offense, you know, OBJ not being on the stat sheet, but his presence was felt. You know, Ricky Seals-Jones does not have that wide open. Um, should have been touchdown, but man, is that guy, that dude is slow. But uh, he was wide open on that, uh, that pass. I guess you would call it just, you know, kind of a, a little bit of a post corner out there that he, he ran and uh, he got that. He he was wide open on that kind of misdirection where he pulled back into the crossing round and back across the field and Baker just hit him. I mean, just nobody in that, in the area zone he was in. Um, you know, you look at, in terms of the running back, Nick Chubb, you can't say enough. Uh, you know, he got most of his yards on the big 80, I think it was an 88 yard run. And that was huge too, because, you know, the Browns just had a penalty that backed him up five yards closer to, you know, their own end zone. And that could have killed the drive, but Nick Chubb said not today. You know, that line was opening up holes. Baker wasn't scrambling, um, out of the pocket. You know, as soon as he snapped the ball, he stepped up, uh, much better. He had that way better pocket, uh, presence and pocket awareness, uh, throughout the entire game. Uh, you know, OBJ, you want to see him on the stat sheet just because, hey, we got him, we want him on the stat sheet. But like you said, his presence was more than felt throughout that entire game. So in terms of the offense, I mean, there's so much to take away, and we could talk about it for hours, but they just played a very impressive game, and they put up 40 points against, you know, what is considered to be a, a, a decent to strong Ravens defense. Well, and the kickers get to miss a field goal, too, in the regular season, by the way. I know that usually you bring up the kickers, but I wanted to make sure that we did bring that up. It, I mean, you know, we're four games in, and he hasn't missed a field goal. That's pretty darn impressive. Yeah, so, yeah, I was, uh, again, it's, it's great to see a field goal go down the middle and very high up the post. Um, there is no question, you know, Greg Joseph, uh, obviously, you know, you root for the guy. He was doing good in the community. Hopefully he lands somewhere and, you know, he can sort out the uh, issues he's had. But just looking back at the game last year, the Browns won in overtime. You could not have skinned it closer than what the Browns did on that game-winning field goal. I think it may have actually grazed the bottom bar of the field goal post. Uh, I'm probably incorrect. But either way, it, it's just great to see a kicker that we can be very confident in and I'll knock on wood for that immediately. So hopefully he keeps it up. Yeah. I mean, he looked, he looked great. Um, you know, and the defense looked great as well. Uh, I guess the defense probably was the weakest point. Uh, but even that it, the week, when I say the weakest point, I just, I think that every time I see miles Garrett, I expect him to have a huge 
you know, two sack game, three sack game, and he didn't do that. I think he was limited to one tackle. Um, but that happens. Obviously, the whole Baltimore Ravens scheme was to get Miles Garrett out of the game. Uh, and then you have a mobile quarterback like, like Lamar Jackson. You can't expect to Garrett to be up in his face every play. But everybody else played extremely well. Uh, the defense, I know that the defense limited Lamar Jackson to only 247 passing yards. They snagged two interceptions. Again, we're playing with three Three of our starting defensive backs are out. Demarius Randall was the only one that was back this game, uh, so that needs to be said. And the rotation of the defensive line, I think they've got a good mix. Uh, I know Garrett, Vernon, Ogunjobi, and Richardson all played over 40 snaps, and then you they sprinkled in Lawrence, uh, Smith, and Thomas over uh, right around 20 snaps. I think they were all over 20 snaps. Maybe Chad Thomas was right at 20 snaps, and they all played effectively. I mean, even Chad Thomas got in there, and he wasn't a liability. Uh, he was a very effective player. Devereaux Lawrence, I know that he was extremely effective. Um, so I, I think that they found a very good method there. And the linebackers, Christian Kirksey's great. I miss Christian Kirksey. I think he would really add something to this defense. But Matt Wilson and Joe Schobert playing out of their minds. Joe Schobert specifically, I think he had 17 tackles. I know that he's up for some uh, AFC Player of the Player of the Week awards. Um, it was it was great. It was great all around. Like I said, I would have liked to see Miles Garrett do more try to get him in a position to make more of an impact. I would like to see that pass rush be up in more Jackson's face more often, uh, but it happens. They still limit him to over under 250 passing yards and got those two interceptions, so it's hard to complain. No, it really is hard to complain. I mean, you know, you held, um, and I'm just going to say they held him to 18 points other than the trash touchdown. You held a a, uh, an, a Ravens offense that is, you know, pretty uh, – I don't want to say electric, but I mean they put they put up points in bunches usually when they I mean when they're on they're on. Now I will say just not to harp on any negatives, but the Browns did get lucky several times. You know the the Ravens were driving and they had a very strong drive going before Mark Ingram fumbled, and that's a credit to the defense. Huge way, huge force fumble there because that I really didn't see him stopping them on that drive. And then there was the uh, pass that Lamar Jackson threw early in the game. I can't. I think it may have been to Willie Sneed, regardless of who the receiver was. Um, it was right by the sideline, and th- it was just on a blown coverage. I mean, he was wide open, but his second toe tapped out of bounds. They called it complete at first, and I believe Freddie challenged, and they overturned it. But we, that was huge in terms of just luck for us because that kind of shut down that drive. And, you know, th- the defense, like you said, Joe Schobert played well. Demarius Randall, I mean, the sack he had on um, Lamar Jackson, you know, typically a guy tries to get a hold of Lamar Jackson, and they end up going five yards the other way, and they can't recover. Well, De- uh, Randall, he he recovered immediately and then wrapped him right up and got him down on the ground, and that's all you can ask for. You know, you're not going to stop Lamar Jackson 100% of the time, but the Browns stopped him pretty much very close to it because a lot of times, you know, if, if they wouldn't have contained him, I mean, he was going for some yards and he was going to figure it out. I'd say uh, one more thing, when they forced him to throw the ball – uh, the big knock on Lamar Jackson, as we know, he likes those tight ends, and he threw one up to the tight ends, and I think it was Jermaine Whitehead that uh, picked the ball off right over top of the tight end's head near the end zone, so, you know, that's all the positive right there for the defense. Yeah, I don't think we're giving Steve Wilkes enough credit to. I, I really do think that he's transformed this defense. He figured it out really quickly. When you can put Jermaine Whitehead in situations where he's successful, you win. Uh, you know what I mean? Like that's probably the weak. That's that is definitely the weak link on that defense. And Steve Wilkes has done a great job. He's done a great job figuring out this defensive line rotation. He's done a great job making sure that everybody has a role, plays a role. Um, obviously, I know a lot of people are a little piffed because of the Jannard Avery being a healthy scratch, but you know, if, if he doesn't, if, if it's not broke, 
don't fix it. You know what I mean? Like it's it's there's nothing wrong with what we're doing. It's working. It's active. You know, Jannard Avery's not for everybody. Hopefully, something he can develop further and then play eventually play a more meaningful role. But I mean, right now, gosh, I just this defense. Like I said, they're they're a little bit away from being one of the best in the NFL. Well, that's the kicker too. You know, this defense. I mean, you know, when you're without three of your starting uh, members of your secondary, they have the depth to take care of it, and they took they've taken care of it. I mean, I'm not going to count the Tennessee Titans game because that just ended up being, you know, Baker playing hero ball and put the defense in the worst possible situations. But that defense has played out of their mind considering the amount of injuries and issues they've had since the beginning of the year. You know, they have depth. That's the main thing. They have depth. So that's something they're going to need as the season goes on and, you know, your players, they get banged up. And the Browns have proven that they've got it so far. And like you said, Steve Wilkes, uh, hats off to him. He's just been scheming great, great game plans. He's held every team in check um, and put the Browns in position for that offense to, you know, go win them the game. And, hey, we got two wins now, so let's go. Yeah, and it's pretty wild, man. Because usually when you deal, usually when you look at teams that have those cluster injuries, which means that you have multiple guys hurt in a specific area, like the Browns with the defensive backfield, you see those teams lose like more often than win. Uh, you know, I know that the Ravens were like the third most bet on team this past weekend, even with the high spread, and a lot of that was because of those defensive backs. And we don't have a whole lot of question marks back there, as in like you know positive question marks where we might have somebody that has p- potential. Terrence Mitchell, T.J. Carey, Jermaine Whitehead. We know what those guys are. We know that those guys are, are not going to be guys that you want to plug in and play as starters. We know who they are. They're not young rookies that are going to emerge. We know who they are, and Steve Wilkes has, has consistently put them in a position to be successful. So something does have to be said about that. Yes, it, it is everything we want more right now for that defense. It's something we haven't had in a long time. You know, if guys got hurt in years past, then offenses would pick on that position, and we'd get you know we'd get stroked. So uh, I guess in terms of negatives, I know there's not too many. So uh, what what negatives have you pulled away from the game? Well, definitely my biggest negative was the Miles Garrett. I thought. I, I really was hoping that he'd be more active and be more up in Lamar Jackson's face. I don't know if that's 100% his fault. I don't, I really don't think it is. At that point, I'm just nitpicking. Um, you know, you obviously want to see OBJ be more involved. You get a little, everybody I'm sure is a little scared that if he, if we, if he has a couple more games of this, is he going to, you know, be outlandish is he going to talk about it is he going to get frustrated so i think when you're up by a certain amount you definitely want to incorporate him more into the game but at the same time i do think that's one of the issues that we had earlier in the season and when i say earlier in the season i mean the first three games is that oh i think that we were trying to force the ball to obj to maybe make him happy so we went away from that we were very successful with that so i don't want to see us you know just go back and revert to what we were doing. Uh, but, you know, I, I do want to see him get ball get balls thrown his direction. Like I said, I'm nitpicking. It was the perfect game. I'm nitpicking. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you, though. Like, you want to see OBJ get some balls thrown his way. Here's the thing, though. Once, once we spread the ball around like we did against the Ravens, teams are going to have to start respecting uh, Ricky Seals-Jones, Jarvis Landry more, and that should get OBJ on one-on-one coverage. If OBJ is on one-on-one, you can throw it up. He'll go get it for you. So hopefully, you know, Baker not relying on him so much like he did the first three games will help open open it up for him later on. Um, in terms of negatives for me, I've just got two. One being Jarvis Landry being in concussion protocol now. That's not really anybody's fault. It's an injury. It happens, but it's something to keep an eye on. Um, you know, he... He was big, very, very big in that game against the Ravens, so we really hope he can come back for this next one. The only other negative I have is the interception that Baker threw on that um, on that RPO slant pass that the Browns love to run. And here's the thing about it for me. 
Um, I don't really care that Jarvis kind of made a business decision to not go get that and get his bell run anyway. My problem is that, you know, teams are very much looking for it now. And really, if the Browns want to just take advantage of it, I think is all they have to do at this point is run the play and Baker do a pump fake for the the, uh, the post. And then whoever's running the post, just go deep. Because I think that every team is going to bite on it um, until the Browns decide to, you know, beat him over top with it. I mean, as soon as he, as soon as he pulled out of the, uh, the fake handoff, both said the, the safety, and I think it may have been a linebacker just darted right to Jarvis and he threw it right in, right into double coverage. So I think, you know, if the Browns take advantage of that, that's an easy touchdown. Well, it definitely wasn't the best decision by Baker. Um, and it definitely wasn't, you know, the most ideal effort spot for Jarvis Landry. With that said, I'm not too, I'm not concerned with that pick at all. Baker's going to throw picks. You, I, I've learned to accept it. That's part of who he is. That's part of his swagger. He's got big balls, and he's going to use them. Sometimes it's going to be successful. Sometimes it's not going to be successful, and that was one instance where it wasn't successful. But again, I think the over, I, I think he did, the positives were much more glaring and plentiful than the negative. So I, you got to take the good with the bad with Baker. This is he, He's going to throw picks. He just That's just how it is. That's how it's going to be. And I'm okay with it. Yeah, so uh, with that being said, the Browns are 2-2, two and two, currently own the tiebreaker, and they are your AFC North Division leaders. Hopefully they keep that up because this week they have the, well, they're traveling to uh, San Francisco to take on the 49ers on Monday Night Football. Um, so, uh, Josh, what can you tell us about the 49ers? What are we going to be looking at from them? Well, I mean, it's it's definitely interesting. They're, they got a little bit of a Baltimore Raven flavor to them. We kind of talked about the Ravens being fake good last week, and obviously that proved to be accurate the Niners are also three and three and oh two and one against the spread they're actually where the Browns are going to be four point underdogs going into this game uh I I don't think that they're good I think that they're fake good I think that we're going to see their issues I don't understand their defense has been extremely impressive I know they forced five turnovers against Pittsburgh two weeks ago that's another thing to keep in consideration here is that the Niners are coming off of bye week so I would think and recognize that they're going to be more prepared than Cleveland might be. Uh, but their defense has been on fire. They for, they forced five turnovers against Pittsburgh. Um, they I think they've had nine sacks this season, which is in the top ten of the NFL with just through, with just their three games. Uh, but remember, they've also played Tampa Bay, Cincinnati, and Pittsburgh. So they've played some trash teams. And we both saw the trash that was on display on Monday night. Tampa Bay is not a good team. They showed flashes Sunday against the Rams, but they're not a good team. We know who the Buccaneers are. So this might be another instance where the Browns go in and come out with a big victory because the 49ers are just, they're all fake hype. Yeah, and that's something to be stay too. You know, this, hopefully it's fake hype, but, you know, if the Browns come out with a victory against the 49ers, they're 3-0 and on the road and 0-2 at home. So that's pretty impressive that the Browns can go into these places and still win. Um, granted, um we think every team they played is either bad or fake good, so maybe not speaking too much uh, to the town of the Browns. But, uh, you know, the 49ers um, have a lot of hype behind them uh, with their quarterback, kind of like Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Um, but Jimmy Garoppolo is not Lamar Jackson in terms of he is not the running quarterback. Um, to this point, you know, he hasn't um, he hasn't been, you know, like MVP caliber or anything. Um how do I want to say it? He he's he's not he's he's played average. Um, he's thrown five touchdowns on the year, thrown four interceptions on the year, um, only seven hundred and thirty nine yards in three games. That's not bad by any means. You know he I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to go out there and torch anybody. 
Um, granted, he torched the Bengals, but anybody can torch the Bengals at this point. Mason Rudolph put up 27 points against them, um, and that defense is just so bad. So I'm not really sure what the Browns have to really be worried about other than that defense. Um, I think they're going to have to keep an eye on Greg Kittle. Greg Kittle's a really good tight end, and tight ends, you know, if they can put our uh, linebackers in bad spots, you know, they might be able to capitalize. But I think what the Browns are going to have to do is just play their game and rely on Nick Chubb to, you know, basically wear down wear down the defense. I mean, we saw it against the Ravens. The Browns just, they took that. They took the time of possession and they owned it. And I think, you know, if they do that against the 49ers, you know, these teams that are they're strong on defense and they, they create turnovers, it's not going to happen if you just keep them out on the field so long that they just get tired. So I think that might be the key for the Browns to win on Sunday or on Monday. Yeah, I, I got to disagree with you about the Jimmy Garoppolo thing. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is great. I think he's got an extremely quick release. I know he hasn't had the most statistically pleasing season, but I mean he's obviously put them in, in positions where he's they're winning. Uh, he's completed sixty nine percent of his passes too, by the way. Nice, and nice, the, and nice. Pit, yeah, yeah. And Pittsburgh blitzed on twenty of the thirty two pass plays that they had. So he he's doing that with people up in his face. So he, he's not Lamar Jackson. He's not as athletic as Lamar Jackson. But he gets rid of the ball extremely quick. Uh, remember, too, he, there's going to be some bumps and bruises because he's coming off of that ACL tear. But I don't think his, like, the, I know we talked about the four interceptions he has. I don't think that's going to be a part of the regular regimen. Eventually that's going to stop. And it could be this game. I do think Jimmy Grapple is a good quarterback. I think he's probably the best quarterback we've seen so far this year, quite honestly. So, I mean, he does kind of scare me because I do feel like eventually he's going to, you know, be even better than he already is. And their offensive line, I know Joe Staley uh, is kind of the you know the bannerman of that, that group, and he's broke his leg, so he's out. But it's still a very solid... I would say upper echelon offensive line. You got Justin's uh, school, uh, the rookie out of Vanderbilt that they drafted in the sixth round. He's filled in very nicely for uh, Joe Staley. Lakin Tomlinson is another player that's been very, very good since his trade from Detroit. I know he was kind of labeled a bust from Detroit when he was drafted in the first round out of Duke, but he's a very technical player. He doesn't make many mistakes. Weston Richburg, they signed him for a huge money to play center, and he's lived up to the hype. Mike Person is the other guard. He's very solid. And Mike McGlinchey's been a great off the tackle. It's only a second year in the league, and he's done a fantastic job. So that's that's a really good offensive line. I would say better than Baltimore's. Uh, I definitely better than Baltimore's, and, and we might be dealing with a tough te- test on that offensive side of the ball. The defense it's kind of weird because I don't really see like I don't think that this defense, the Niners' defense, is any better than any of the defenses that we've already played, uh, specifically the Ravens, for instance. But I mean, we'll see because, like I said, statistics would be against what I just said. Um, but I, I do think that this offense can't click. Yeah, so that's that's the main thing. You know, can can the Browns kind of be disruptive with that offensive line they have? You know, can Miles Garrett and like you said, he he didn't really show up. But you know that that may be unfair to say he didn't show up. You know, he may have caused more double teams to let guys like Olivier Vernon. I know Olivier Vernon had his first sack of the season last week. So maybe you know guys like him and Ogan Joby can step up again and just kind of create some havoc back there. And you know. If they can, if they can put them in those third and long situations and force, if they can force a turnover or two, I mean, let's let's be honest here. I mean, you know, the 49ers played the Steelers, and granted, you know, Big Ben got hurt. I think maybe in the second or third quarter of that game, but you know, they haven't blown the doors off anybody except Cincinnati at this point. To be fair, so I think you know the Browns have a good shot at winning this game. It's just going to be tough. I mean, they're facing. 
they're not facing you know like a superstar team by any means. I just think they're facing a solid team. That's that's my my main um, takeaway from what the 49ers are. I would agree with you. If I'm looking at the roster, it doesn't scare me at all. Matter of fact, if I, if you showed me their roster compared to the rest of the teams in the NFL, I would not pick them as an undefeated team. But they are, I, and it is going to be Monday night. I do think that this is going to add some hype, and this is a meaningful game. Uh, I think it would really do wonders for the Browns to win. I expect fully. I know that the Browns are underdogs, but I fully expect them to win. Um You know, and it is worth noting that Baker is 3-0 and straight up when the Browns are a road dog of three points or less. So... That is something to take. I know right now the spread's four points, but if it does dip below three, Baker's pretty much a guarantee, baby. Yeah, I I think the Browns win this game myself too. I'm gonna I'm gonna stay stray from uh, making them any sort of bet this week because uh, at this point I don't want to make every week be a Browns bet. But I think the Browns win this game. Um, I think they move to three and two, and I think um, you know it'll just help them later on because you know the Browns' schedule gets. Very, very weak near the end of the season, and that's where they really need to rack up wins. But if they can get any now, it's just a big, big help later on. So, well, with the Browns being uh, both of our picks for that, uh, what do we got going on in the college sphere this week? So, Ohio State's got a big game against Michigan State Saturday at seven thirty. I'm sure everybody's already aware. Um, I'm sure everybody's already seen Michigan State and their struggles. Uh, Mark D'Antonio's typically he's seen as kind of you know a, a, a genius per se. That's not been the case. Matter of fact, I think his seat is getting hotter and hotter by the day. But Michigan State does have some talent. Um, honestly, even though their offense is completely atrocious, I, there are two offensive linemen that I really like. But obviously the stud for Michigan State is their defense, Kenny Wilkes, uh, 6'4", 262 pounds. He is a senior. He's already got 14 tackles and four sacks this year. He's a former walk-on, was Big Ten defensive lineman of the year last year, uh, was an All-American by, you know, some publications. He's got insane speed off the edge. I expect him to be, uh, he's going to be up there, maybe possibly a day one draft pick. The dude's a hard worker, he's a grinder, and he's going to cause some problems for Ohio State. That's a fact. That's just something that you're going to, and you're going to see that, and it'd be kind of awesome if he was a Brown. Uh, Michigan State, like I said, even though they have a terrible offense, they do have two offensive linemen that I kind of find interesting. Uh, Luke Campbell is only a junior. He's not going to declare early. This is a guy that's kind of been in and out of the lineup. He had nine starts last year. He's starting at guard for Michigan State this year, and that's largely due to injuries. I don't really know why he sits the bench. Um, I've seen him play. I think he projects better as an offensive tackle to the NFL. Six foot five, three hundred two pounds. Uh, he's a pretty good athlete. So I'm trying to. I'm still kind of trying to figure out why he's not as he's not as consistent as he could be. Uh, the other offensive lineman is Cole Chewins, who's actually probably uh, Chewins, who's actually probably not going to play um he's been dealing with some back issues from preseason he's 6'8 300 pounds he is a senior he is the starting off the tackle but again he's probably not going to play uh but he's a very good player i think that the michigan state offense is much better with him on the field but those are kind of three guys that i'm watching out for okay so uh just my takeaway from what the buckeyes are going to be looking at this uh this week you know um as we know mark d'antonio tends to give the buckeyes fits for the most part i mean you know uh Let's just say that he was one of the few things of kryptonite to Urban Meyer's uh, reign at Ohio State. You know, he really ruined some things. He, he was a, a good coach. Where, he used to be a good yeah. coach. Yes, he. I mean, let's let's put it this way: D'Antonio has always been the guy that can turn a two or three star guy into like a four or five star guy. He's always been really good at developing talent. Um, you know, look at guys in the NFL like Le'Veon Bell. Um, you know, the it's it's just. He's been able to take diamonds in the rough and just shape them and turn them into 
to just really, really good NFL players. But the thing I think that the Buckeyes have that, you know, Michigan State doesn't have is Justin Fields. <laughs> um, you know, I think, I think, uh, the Buckeyes will be able to just kind of, uh, impose their will against Michigan State this week. Um, it's a night game. They're doing a blackout. The Buckeyes are going to, f- you know, they're going to be feeling that swag with those black uniforms. I'm not sure what, how you feel about them, but I like them, uh, quite a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I, just going back to the Nebraska game last week, I mean, I'm sure you saw the Garrett Wilson uh, corner of the back corner of the end zone uh, kind of fade route that Justin Fields threw to him, and oh, you yeah. know watching watching that true freshman make that grab, and watching you know Justin Fields make a dime of a throw. Um, I could get used to seeing that a lot more, and you're going to see that on Sundays with Garrett Wilson. That's for sure. That dude is NFL ready uh, tomorrow. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I don't think the Buckeyes have much problem, too many problems with this uh, Michigan State team. I, I do think, I think Michigan State's trash. I think that they, they're worse than Nebraska. The spread is, the spread was 20 and a half on Sunday night. I locked that in. I put down quite a bit of cash on Ohio State before it got up to three touchdowns because I, I think that Michigan State's just not a good team. They really, 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 really were not good against Arizona State. And I don't think Arizona State's the best team. There were some def- definite opportunities for D'Antonio to beat them, and he just didn't take it. I don't think this is a good team. Um, I, the Justin Fields thing, that's an interesting thing because I've been hearing a lot about him having pro potential. Um, I don't really see it yet. I think that Ohio State runs a very simplified offense. I think that he relies a lot on his athleticism. I think last week, Nebraska kind of flustered him, uh, and that's when he did kind of take off early in the game. I think he could be an interesting prospect to watch in the future, uh, but thank goodness we have Baker. We don't really have to worry about that. Yeah, no, let, let me uh, let me make sure that I'm being clear. I, I, I wasn't saying Justin Fields. The th- I mean, the throw was amazing, but I don't think Justin Fields is NFL quarterback. Oh. I mean, yet, like you said, he could develop. But Garrett Wilson, my God. Oh, Garrett Wilson. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Before we get into the bets, though, uh, just kind of a little bit of college news and notes to wrap up. Have you seen what Cincinnati has done to their field? Oh, yeah, dude, that is Swag City, bro. Dude, that, that, that field is legit. I was looking at it from left to right, and then I saw that white end zone, though. And I saw the white end zone, and I was like, they ruined it. For me, at least. What? I was no, like, yeah, man. I didn't. I don't like that white end zone. Dude, how old are you? 95? Come on, bro. Get with no, the No, I love the black field. I love the black field. It's just that white end zone just, I don't know, throws it off for me. I could, I could see that. For, for those of you who haven't seen it yet, go ahead and Google it. Nippert Stadium uh, has changed their field color. It's going to be black. One end zone's going to be red. One end zone's going to be white. It looks super dope. Um, the thing I really don't like, though, is that the hashtag for the Cincinnati game, because they, they have a big game, huge game Friday against Central Florida. Matter of fact, I put money on that game, too. I think this is where Cincinnati and Luke Fickle takes over the AAC. But whatever, that's for another time and another pod. Um but the thing I don't like about the Cincinnati deal is that they've did it. They, the hashtag for the game is nip at night. I like, I feel like if I saw that hashtag and had no idea it was related to Cincinnati football, I would be expecting something completely different. Oh boy. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of uh, rough, but whatever, you know, you live, you learn. Typical Cincinnati moves. Nip at night, baby. Nip at night. All right, so uh, let's let's roll on to the bets. We got some NFL games to bet on this week. Um, I guess we'll start with you, Josh. Uh, what do you what's what's your first bet of the week? Well, of course, I got to back the Patriots. The Patriots, you know, they did not do me any favors last week, but uh, I'm going to go back them again. New England's given 16 to Washington. Washington is atrocious. We don't know who's going to be playing quarterback. Whether or not it's turnover machine Case Keenum or if it's rookie 
also turnover machine, Dwayne Haskins. I don't think it matters. New England's coming off a really rough win where they squeaked out a victory in Buffalo, 16 to 10. I think they're going to be looking to inflict some pain. The skins out are the Redskins are outscored by an average of 13 points per game. Okay, so that's not good. And the Patriots got a pretty good offense to inflict their uh, to inflict their will. New England is also the last. They've been double digit favorites in like three games already this year. Whatever. In the last ten double in the last ten games, the Patriots have been double digit favorites. They've covered eight of them. So I feel pretty. I know it's a pretty big spread, but for the Patriots, it's really not that large. So I'm going with it. And for the record, I w- I've gone two and one the last three weeks, two weeks. So I'm feeling pretty good. I'm definitely, uh, I'm definitely, you know, doing all right in the pocket book. Yeah, hey, they, there you go. They can't be, uh, can't complain about extra money in the pocketbook. Got to make it fatter, baby. Got to make it fatter. That's right. All right. So uh, my number one bet here for me. Um, let's let's just go with. Uh, let me tell you a story about a man who uh, first day of college, uh, his freshman year, he he walked out of the house and told his dad. Dad, you're the man of the house now, and that man's name was Gardner Minshew. The legend oh continues God. this week. You're dipping back yeah. into the Minshew pool? Yeah, no, I, I can't wow. not dip back into the Gardner Minshew pool. Oh, I, I See, I, I'm not really sure um, if Carolina's going to be able to, uh, to you know, even, even put up a single. I mean, I don't think Carolina's going to stop them on a single drive. I think that Gardner Minshew puts up 100 points. By himself before the end of the first half. It's possible. It, it's quite. It's quite possible. But yeah, no. Uh, Carolina's favored by. Uh, I show they're favored by three uh, on my screen right now, and I, I don't think they're covering. So, uh, I, I this being said, like uh, you know, Carolina's got some really really good players. Um, you know, uh, I've always been a big Car- Curtis Samuel fan, and uh, you know they shoot. Help me out here, Josh. Who's who's the running back? Uh, I feel so Christian McCaffrey. Right Christian McCaffrey, thank you, Christian McCaffrey. Gonna edit that out. Um, Christian McCaffrey is very, very, very good. Um, he can just, you know, outrun anybody you know, once he gets some open space. You probably confused Christian McCaffrey with the other white running back. That's why. That's why you forgot his name. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, Chris. Yeah, exactly. Christian McCaffrey is. Uh, is dangerous. I think the Carolina could win, but I don't think they're covering that uh, three-point spread. I think it's going to be much closer. And, uh, hey, Minshew Magic, maybe the Jacksonville pulls another one out. Gosh, that's an interesting bet. I tell you what, um, I'm probably – I don't know. I'll have to I'll have to see what I can do with that one. I'll have to take a glance at that game. Um, the second game I'm rolling with is Dallas giving three-and-a-half to Green Bay. Um, Dallas is coming back home. Uh, the Green Bay offense, I think there's some real question marks. They did not look great against Philadelphia. They haven't looked great all year. Well, actually, they looked pretty good against Philadelphia, but they haven't looked great the, uh, the rest of the year. Um, I, I just they, they also have some questions on their run defense. Philadelphia ran all over them, so you would expect Zeke and this powerful Cowboy offensive line to just destroy them. So three and a half points seems like a bargain. Remember, the Cowboys are at home, so if, if the NFL, every home field advantage is three points. They're saying that the Cowboys are only a half point favorite than Green Bay. I utterly could not disagree more. I mean, the, the Cowboys are a legit good team. The Packers still have a ton of question marks, so I, really you're picking the Cowboys kind of to win outright. So with that thought process, I'm going to go ahead and take the Cowboys. Ooh, that's, a, that's an interesting one. I, that's that's one I kind of strayed away from because I really like you said I think both teams are question mark for me but uh, let, let me just go in my second one here so uh, 
there was a politician, uh, not going to name names, just a random Cincinnati politician who basically told the Bengals just to get out of town after their Monday night performance against Pittsburgh. Was it Jerry Springer? Um, no, it was not Jerry Springer. You know, you know Springer. he was the mayor of Cincinnati. Yes. Cincinnati's probably. Yes, be- yes, absolutely. Jerry Springer is probably the most famous Cincinnati. That him, Cincinnati-ian. Him and Marty Gilliard. A, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know... So Cincinnati, there's a politician telling him to basically pack up and get out of town. And, like, he was uh, throwing some legit arguments about how uh, the Brown family, um, just, you know, Mike Brown and company, just not really uh, bringing much to the community in terms of any sort of revenue and not really trying to help out the community. Nothing would warm my heart more than to see Cincinnati take their franchise across the bridge down into Kentucky and, and set up shop down there. That being said, they take on Arizona and are favored by three and a half. And uh, I'm just going to say that Arizona gets their first win this week. Um, Cincinnati's not covering, and I'm going to go ahead and say money line Arizona that one. Uh, I think that Andy Dalton is a shell of him former, his former self. He's not confident in his offense at all, and uh, that defense is atrocious. And I think that uh, – Kyler Murray gets his first win against Cincinnati this week. How can you tell? How can you tell if Andy Dalton's a shell of his former self? He's constantly on the ground. Well, I mean, is that part? Is that part of it? He's got no protection. Like a turtle, like a turtle on his back that, uh, on the shell all the time. That's that's, that's a bad joke. <laughs> I no, I I I feel like I'm kind of leaning against that. Um, I'm not going to bet on that game. But my initial thought process. Which, by the way, now that we're now that we're getting an argument's sake, what happened last week? What was your record last week? Uh, I didn't take a look. I know I won the Browns game. You won the Browns uh, game, who, yes. Who else did Who else did I have? I believe you took the Redskins. I may have taken the Redskins, and I believe someone slightly smarter than you on this very podcast said, "Don't take the Redskins." <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, no, Dwayne Haskins was so unbelievably unprepared. No, the Redskins suck. The Redskins are terrible. Um, I think the, the Cardinals are terrible, too. Maybe you might be right. I, I also, I hate betting against Minshew Magic, but if my gut would, would, would lean with the Panthers as well. But I guess we'll see. I guess that's why, you know, we're opposites. My third game, dude, this was rough. I haven't put money on this, to be honest with you. Uh, the, I did put money on Dallas. I did put money on New England. The third game, I'm kind of grasping at straws here. I haven't put any money on it yet. Kind of watching the lines. This is a, it's a tough slate. This, I've had more trouble with this week than the previous weeks, but I did take Pittsburgh. They're getting three and a half playing Baltimore. They're at home. Baltimore's one and five. Their last six contests against the, against the spread. You know, I, I, we said it last week. I think that the Ravens are fake, fake good. Um, I think that you're going to start to see it. You know, with them being two and two, they're only one and three against the spread, and the Steelers are two and two against the spread. I know that the Steelers are one and three, but they're two and two against the spread, so they're hitting expectations, um, and the Ravens are not. So I feel like this might be another instance. Maybe the Steelers have kind of figured out how to make Rudolph successful and how to how figured out how to spread the ball around. Um, to their weapons, including Jalen Samuel. So we'll see what happens, but I haven't put any money on it yet, but that's probably going to be my third game. Hey, there you go. Um, also, I think I went one and two last week. Uh, I think I picked Kansas City to cover their spread against Detroit, and much to the chagrin of our Lord, Jeff Risden, uh, Detroit uh, choked it away pretty bad. Oh, man, that was, a, that was a really good game, though. I'm really surprised they're in it because I put money on Kansas City as well and put Mahomes in every daily fantasy lineup possible, uh, especially with all that indoor, you know, hey, this is Mahomes' first game indoors or whatever talk. So 
That was uh, the Lions hanging. I think is a victory in their eyes. Yeah. Hey, there you go. So, um, sorry to get back to your point. Yeah, that Pittsburgh Baltimore game. I'm I'm staying very far away from that one. That one seems so dangerous to me. I mean, I think Baltimore's uh, or Pittsburgh's defense rather. I think Pittsburgh's defense could just shut down Baltimore and make it into a really nasty game where it's just you know one in the trenches but I still think Baltimore might be able to come out with it either way so uh my third game this has been so tough like this is this has just been a bad week for bets because you know we're kind of in the thick of the season and nobody's like big favorites other than New England and Kansas City and I don't want to keep trying to ride with Kansas City because you know I don't want to be like one-dimensional and say I only bet on them not to say anything against you because those those New England bets have been you know you've had to take big chances with those bets I mean how much they've been favored by and it's paid off for you but uh for me the last bet it's been so freaking difficult but I think the Chargers are going to cover their six and a half point spread against Denver um Joe Flacco is not producing at all um and i think the chargers are in a position where they really need to kind of do some work and put up a big win against especially against a divisional opponent and i think with having melvin gordon back i think he might um you know he he's almost lost his job to the backup but i think he'll come back and i think he'll show up and show out against uh denver and I think that the Chargers cover cover the six and a half point spread. Yeah, I think that Melvin Gordon is also going to have a big game. Melvin Gordon's very talented. Austin Eckler's not nearly as talented. I think you see a big difference with the Chargers offense when uh, Melvin Gordon's on the field. Austin Eckler, he works really hard, runs really hard, but that's all he is. Is he's just kind of a a lighter, more athletic Isaiah Crowell, but he's not really the guy you want to you know get married to so i feel like that's probably a fair bet i feel like that's probably a good game to bet on all right so uh there there she be there be all of our bets so uh let's see here the browns playing the 49ers um we both already said we think the browns are gonna win um so i guess kind of close yeah i'm probably gonna put i'm probably gonna put some money on that game as well i i have a lot of confidence in the browns i think that they should win if they don't i think it'll be embarrassing because i don't i don't have a whole lot of faith in the 49ers yeah the browns i think they need to win the game they need to get back on the winning side of that record uh three and two is gonna look much better than two and three come uh come tuesday so uh i guess before we go tonight uh Josh, go ahead and share your Twitter handle. Where can people find you at? Yeah, you can follow me at Josh Keatley sixteen. And although I'm not tweeting about Odell Beckham getting choked by Marlon Humphrey, uh, I do fancy myself as uh, quite the tweeter. Hey, there you go. And then you can find me at Travis underscore Rogers four on Twitter. So uh, feel free to follow us. Uh, and Josh is nice enough to follow you back. I might block you because I'm mean. Um, so with that being said, uh, I think that'll close us out tonight. Any final thoughts, Josh? No, man. I'm just excited. Hopefully there's no drama. Uh, hopefully Jarvis Landry comes back healthy. Uh, hopefully we can go into Monday and uh, get a W. Yeah, let's let's hope we can uh, be here back here next week talking about a victory. So uh, that's all we got, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Fifteen minutes could save you 15% or more. Wait a minute. I've heard that before. That's the note Jeremy wrote to me in my yearbook in the sixth grade. How'd you even know that? Because it's from Geico. Yeah, yeah, wait, here it is. Dear Luke, have a great summer. P.S. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Love, Jeremy. Geico's had this tagline for years, because we help save people money. So wait, you're saying Jeremy copied you? (laughs) Yeah, that actually does sound like something the J-Man would do. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.